Thank you for checking out our podcast today. We hope that the teaching you're about to hear will inspire you and motivate you on your incredible journey in becoming a better you. So please turn your attention to today's message. Isn't it amazing to know that he's not done with us yet? Just that song took me to a different place, amen. Just to know that I started thinking about this little girl born in Argentina to a 15-year-old mother that had no education, given to a home because she couldn't raise her. And look at God, look what God has done. Standing today is that little girl in front of you today. Not because of who I am or the degrees that I have or because I wouldn't have those degrees had God's hand not been on my life. Amen. My mom didn't have education. Nobody in my, fa- in my biological family has finished high school or they maybe finished high school. Wow. But look what God can do on his own. And so when you sang that song, he's not done with me yet. I'm just so excited because while I am in my fifth decade of living, <laughs> Now, y'all going to have to do your multiplications there. Every decade has to 10, so think about it. He's not done with me yet. He wasn't done with Abraham at 80 or Sarah at 80 when they had the first baby. Can you imagine that? No. Not me, right? I was done. He wasn't done with Hannah when she couldn't have babies. He wasn't, he wasn't done. He just wasn't done. And he's not done with you yet. And so thank you, worship team, for taking us there, because it's interesting how God does all things well. Um, So today, I really pray that you leave encouraged, that with renewed strength and a recommitment to trust God through the process. The message for today is in process. How many of you feel that you're in process, right? You're not at the beginning. You're not at the end. But you are like trying to make it in the middle of it. I don't know about you, but I do feel that way. How many, come on, be honest. How many of you are in process right now? You know, like you're a work in process, you are in process, you are being squished from all directions. How many of you feel that way? How many of you feel like you have a storm coming, you're being squished, you're being sifted, you are being hit? Right, all things all at once, and you don't know where to go. I don't know, there are times that I feel that way myself. But I'm in process, which gives me the hope that God will continue to do. He said that he is the one that is going to finish, right? So sometimes we think that we are the finishers, but we're really not. He's responsible for it. Amen? Perfect. So this week, so many of you know that I've um, switched, career, not careers, by jobs, locations. Because it's the same title in a different location. Amen? I'm an associate dean for academic and community, community collaboration at Cecil College. And um, part of my job is to find businesses and companies to partner with us so we can develop internships and mentorship for students, right? So we don't just want them to learn the skills on the confined, sterile environment of a classroom. We want them to make sure that they also know how to put it in practice, right? So that's part of my job, to go and talk to these people. And I met with three companies on Friday alone. One was the, um, and they were all uh, work with the Department of De- Defense and the you know, and they talk about manufacturing. That's what I was talking about. Now, I never care about it. I never thought about it, right? And I'm like, okay, but I got to sell this program. Not sell it, but at least entice them enough that they will say, yeah, I will take your students. So when I started talk, thinking about manufacturing, it's a manufacturing technician certificate, I got so intrigued because everything we do goes through a manufacturing process. Everything, the chair that you're sitting in, on, um, don't, don't just think about the chair, think about the leather that is covering that mat, think about every screw, because if that screw is not working, guess what? 
I was going to say something I should not have said. So I was said, you will be on the floor, because I was really going to say your butt will be on the floor, but I said it anyways, right? You know, how many of you think about when you get in the car about the little screw that's really holding that car together, and you sit down and you put that key on the ignition, and you assume it's going to work, right? And if you are me running a little, a few minutes behind, I'm just zooming out of my parking lot, never, never taking a thought about it. But what if that little screw that was holding that car together did not work? I always think of the cartoons, you know, in the cartoons sometimes where the car comes apart and the wheels, I mean, I'm old, so I saw the Tom and Jerry, those type of cartoons. You guys miss, the best cartoons were when we were growing up. I'm sorry, right? And all the wheels come apart, and then they're just sitting there, and the car goes like, boom, boom, you know? But that's what being in process is. It's everything from manufacturing, it's everything from ideation, the idea, through the testing of the, the creating the prototype, creating the product, testing and retesting before you can deliver it to whatever company. And every step has to be done more than once. And so when we talk about in process, that's what we're talking about, right? That period where we're going through the testing and the retesting, where we're going through our development and our growth. I'm learning so much, I was also thinking about God's grace in our lives that allows us and gives us that time where we retest, and if we fail, guess what? Because he's not done with us yet, we get to do it again. Yes. Don't be like, you know, well, we say, don't be like the Israelites that took 40 years for an 11-day trip. Don't be so sanctimonious. Some of us have been on this, on this trip for 50 years. I have done it, so, have gone through things that should have taken us one day, right? But we have not processed everything through. So process is defined as a series of changes, actions, or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end. And so when we think about us being in process, what's the particular end that God wants to achieve within us? Okay? And think about that. Every day we go through a process of growth, development, maturation, in our jobs, in our families, in life, and even in our work of, in, with Christ. Sometimes that in process could be almost unnoticeable, right? You don't know that you're going through it. But then you're like, oh, look at God. I'm not yelling at every card right now. And you know, working in Maryland is amazing. It has really done wonders for my road rage. I'm just letting you know that. Because when I was going to play, somebody said, you're very violent when you drive. It's like, okay, I was driving to North Philadelphia, forgive me, okay? But I am not talking to cars the way that I used to talk before. I'm not making signs with my hands the ways that I used to do. I'm not yelling at the world because they are not merging the right way anymore. So I didn't notice that until this week, and I was like, look at me. I'm not angry when I get in the house. You know, it was like, sometimes I felt like I was coming in my house. I was like, oh, don't talk to me for another hour. I'm not doing that anymore. So, look at God. He achieved something great in me. <laughs> I don't feel like smacking everybody, right? Sometimes I do feel like I'm in a pressure cooker, right? Sometimes I feel like I'm on that machine trying to mold um, that screw so it will fit somewhere. Sometimes I feel that I'm in the fire where the um, the iron and it getting hot and you have to bang it to be able to mold something, right? My husband and I were in Lancaster last weekend, Pastor. You know? But I did hear, I did listen to the message. So I know that I have to be in harmony with all of you, right? So we went, we went to the Renaissance Fair. In Lancaster, we were having some one-on-one, some -on -one. amen? And they were doing uh, glass blowing, and they had to put the glass, this long stick in this fire that 
you couldn't hold it with your bare hands. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm right there, right, in this fire. Sometimes I feel that my, that my grounds are shaking like an earthquake. But in all in all, sometimes I feel like I like this process. Sometimes I want to end the process. Sometimes I want to say, God, what's up? You know, have I not gone enough through the process? And sometimes I want it just to be completed. Like, I want God to say, you're done. But then sometimes he says, you're done on this side, on this one. Let's process you to the other one. So notice that part of my message today is that we will recommit to trusting God in the process. Because sometimes we trust ourselves through the process. And what happens is we're failing that test because it's our own doing, right? It's in our own strength. It's in my own knowledge. But that's not what God wants us to learn through the process. So notice that I did not say understand the process or like the process. I said trust God's process. Because sometimes we're in processes that we create ourselves. But guess what? God will use every process for the good. So I said trust because trust is confidence or reliance or resting of the mind and integrity of us. It's knowing that he doesn't fail then I can trust him. Trust is now faith. Now faith. The Bible verse says now faith. It doesn't say now comma faith. Because if you say, if we put a comma in there, it would say, well now faith. It says now faith. It's the faith for this exact moment, this exact circumstance, this exact test, this exact need. It's now faith. Notice that I didn't say understand because understanding sometimes goes with my, it, it's all referring to my limited cap capacity to understand the way God works. So just because I don't understand quantum physics, which I don't, right? It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I just don't understand it. But when I'm looking at my process with just my natural eye, just eye level, human level. I'm not allowing the supernatural God to do what he has to do. In process, when I'm in process, I gotta trust this supernatural, all-powerful God that he knows. It doesn't mean that everything that I'm going through, he planned, he, he's making it happen. It's not all my doing. Sometimes what process does involve other people that have done things that they should not have done to me. But guess what? If I trust God, because I don't understand what's happening, I know that I'm in the right, way, right path. Notice that I did not say, you gotta like the process, yeah. right? And that's because I didn't, I didn't say like the process because that involves your feelings, wow. right? That involves whether I feel like it or not. I hate when students, when I, we say, well, what are your thoughts? What is your opinion? I say, well, I feel like, no, I don't want your feelings because feelings are fickle, right? I love you today, not so much tomorrow. You cut me off, never again, right? <laughs> you know, well, it seems to me that we're always in our feelings. There's even a song about it, right? I'm in my feelings. What does that even mean, I'm in my feelings? When I'm talking about trust God's process, and I don't say like God's process, it's because we can't allow the womb of my feelings to make decisions when I'm angry, when I'm mad, whether I like something or not. That could not be the center of your existence, moving and operating just in feelings. Because the process is not whether you like it or not, it's a choice to embrace it and to allow God to enter into your sphere, into your atmosphere to operate and be able to do what he needs to do for us, with us, in spite of us, Amen. in addition to us. Amen? Amen? When you lead toward your emotions, you know, marriages are broken up because I, I don't feel love anymore. I've been married 30 years, and I can tell you through those 30 years, there have been times that... <laughs> You can fill in the blank because I was told not to say it. <laughs> huh? 
There have been times where I don't feel love, okay? There were times where I packed my bags. There were times where I felt some different type of love, like aggressive love, all right? Sometimes I don't like it. I don't like the man. Uh, he's not here, so I can say it. He's not here. Don't tell him, though. He might be listening. I don't know. He's a little. But I love him. I love him. We grew up, really grew up together. I live longer with him than I live with my family, so. To trust in the Lord means more than believing in who he is and what he says. It's standing in his word. Sometimes you don't see it. You don't, you're like, what? He said, he said this? Okay, or sometimes you believe the promise, but it's taking a long time. How many of you feel like your promise is taking forever? Like it's going to be 2,105 and maybe it comes, right? Like that, sometimes it's like, Lord, it's 2023. Like you gave me this promise in 2000. It's been 23 years, you know? But it's, I'm not, I must have to learn something. He must know something. I mean, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I know I have a time, so I got to stay. I got a lot to say today. It says, trust God. From the bottom of your heart, and don't try to figure out on your everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Now that hit deep. Because I assume I know more than a lot. Right? <laughs> like, I know a lot. But he said, don't assume that. Amen? The word trusting here means to lie helpless, face down. Willingly surrender to his wisdom and to his love. So when you trust God's process, you're going to lay down at the altar, at your home, and your spirit, and allow and invite him to come in. If you trust God at 50%, and you think your 50% is better than God's, that's not trusting him. And you said, I don't do that. I said, really? I do it, right? God, take care of this, but let me call them and tell them what they need to do first, right? God, I'm surrendering all this to you, but, and you know when you say but, everything else gets canceled, okay? Trusting God with all our hearts means to honor and acknowledge him that he's God all by himself. Trust speaks of faith. Amen. Hebrews 11, 33, 34 says, By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God has promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their witness was turned to strength. Because see, when we are in process, we see ourselves as weak, but it's in that moment that we're allowing the strength of God to make us strong. Our strength is not our own. Our strength is God's strength. And so when we're in the midst of the process, our job is really to surrender. Our job is really to say, God, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know why I went through what I went when I was a child. I, I don't know. I still don't know 53 years later. But I don't maybe I don't need to know why I just need to know that God's hand was there all the time amen between seed time and harvest pastor talked about that see I've been listening there's a period of time where we don't see so the seed the seed time the seed goes on the ground and harvest we see the end result and we are great at always want to see the end result we always go for the shiny thing right but in between that sit on the ground and that beautiful corn that we're eating with some mayo and butter and stuff there was a breakdown underground where God did what he needed to do for gestation and fermentation you know he does the same with us a lot of times our in process is in the obscurity of others all sometimes you see is look at her look at them but you don't see all the things, all the seasons that people had to go through. 
And some of us are in the midst of some rough seasons. But guess what? It all works, right? So let me tell you some of the seasons I thought of. It's a lot of different things that you might go, that you could align with your process. And I wanted to talk about four today. One is pruning. One is sifting. One is going into the wilderness. And then the grave or the cave. Man. So pruning is not a fun season to be in. John 15, 1 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. If you're in a pruning season right now, it's because God wants to see more fruit from you. It's interesting to me because if the, that, that um, branch is giving fruit, I wouldn't touch it, right? But he said, no, I got to cut it so more can come. So we are mo- if you're in the pruning season, you're moving into the moment of more, right? Let it cut. My, my, father, my grandfather used to have uh, vines in the patio in, in Argentina, and he would cut and trim and cut some strong things and tie them and doing all that he thinks. So the next season, the fruit, the, the grapes were bigger and juicier and more delicious. Amen? So just like Pastor Sir Harmony, how great, how delicious that is. That's what God is trying to do when we're going through this pruning season. It essentially involves the correction of unwanted or imperfect growth in order to encourage and train and have more growth. That's what that pruning season is. So instead of fighting it, it's time to ask God, God, what is it that I need to learn? What are the areas that I, that you, that I need to let go? How I can grow more so when somebody comes into my presence, they leave satisfied, they leave full, they leave encouraged, right? Because after all, it's not about you, really, or process is not about you. The sifting is this other season I wanted to talk about. And so I'll always go back to this Bible verse that says, Luke 22, 31 says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have you to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not completely fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. Satan is going to be present, right? But I don't like spending a lot of time on him because guess what? He's been defeated. I, we have the victory. But let's learn what he does, so then we, need, we can learn how to spot before he comes around, right? So the sifting that the enemy desires, desire for Peter and me, is so he could break his faith and be able to pull him away from Christ, right? That's what Satan's job is, to pull us away. And we many times give the door open for him to do what he does. But God uses the same sifting for a different thing. His sifting is so, you know, when you sift grain and, or, or corn, and here I'm talking like I know a lot. I'm the worst gardener there is, okay? <laughs> I do not have a green thumb. I kill plants that people said could never be killed. But I'm a learner, right? I like to read, and Google.com gives me a lot of information. <laughs> So when I'm sifting, I learn, right? Through that sifting, you go like this, you sift it. All the impurities come to the top, and the grain and the powder that is supposed to be kept comes to the bottom. So the sifting that God does is so he can bring forth, elevate those things that are not his, right? Those mindsets that don't work with his love for us, you know? Um, the insecurities that we may have, the bitterness that we may have, the anger issues that we may have, and they come to the top, and after that is on the top, guess what happens? The sifter just dumps it in the trash. And all you're left is with purity. And that's what the sifting that God allows us to go through is for. So all those negative things that are not producing in your life can be thrown in the trash, and the pure Love of God can come forth. That's what the sifting is for. 
The next thing is the wilderness, and we don't like to talk about the wilderness, and I don't want to be in the wilderness, but I was, you know, the Israelites went to the wilderness, but I found it interesting, interesting that when Jesus, after Jesus been on obscurity almost 30 years, he has this big entrance, and John the Baptist said, he did, look, there is the lamb, I can't even touch his shoes. And he said, well, baptize me. And he's baptized, and then God's voice from heaven says, that's my son, of whom I'm well pleased. And then the dove, the Holy Spirit comes. But what happens next? Because I'm thinking, everybody should be bowing down to him, and he should be doing miracles right away. No. The Holy Spirit took him to the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days, and the Holy Spirit took him to the wilderness. Sometimes we're in the wilderness because of our own doing. Sometimes we're in the wilderness because of others doing. But sometimes we're in the wilderness because the Holy Spirit is taking us there. And if you're there, it's for a reason, right? God doesn't do anything without purpose. We do things without purpose sometimes. I like the verse. So when you look at that, and guess who was in the wilderness? Right at the front, right on the tree, the first tree that was seen, Satan, ready to tempt and test Jesus. But the amazing thing about his temptation or uh, his wilderness period is that we can learn from him and see how get the, the tools and the weapons that Jesus used. Amen? Amen? There's three things that Satan, that God wants to eradicate from our lives when we're in that wilderness. They were the same three things that Satan um, tempted Christ with. And 1 John 2.16 says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And another version, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the last of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those were the same three things that Satan tempted Christ with. The last of the flesh has to do with all satisfying our own desires. Amen? Bitterness, jealousy, envy, gossip, wanting to, whatever it is, you just want to satisfy your own desires, regardless if they align with God. The last of the eyes has to do with always going after that shiny thing, right? Always going for that pretty thing that takes us away from God. And the thing I want to remind you is that Satan doesn't always make you choose between sin and not sin, right? The trickery of the enemy is that he puts a good thing next to a God thing and wants you to choose the good thing and not the God thing. Right? We always think that Satan comes with his little horns, right? His little tail, all red, and gives you all these bad choices. But he doesn't. All he does is create a doubt on, in your mind. He did it with Eve. He didn't say to Eve, look at that thorny plant. Don't you want that thorny plant? No. He said, isn't that, isn't that fruit beautiful? Did he really say that you couldn't have it? He did provide something that it was something that you knew you're going to say no to. Amen? The last of the eyes has to do with money, possessions, physical things. Pride of life has to be with you. Pride, arrogance, greed, boasting. Look at me. How many titles I have. Right? That type of thing. So how did the enemy really, because when you read that story about Jesus being tempted, it doesn't say, let me tempt you about the lust of the eyes. Let me tempt you about this. The enemy did this to God, to Christ. He said, if you are the son of man, tell this stone to become a load of bread. The lust of the eyes. No, the lust, I'm sorry. The lust of the flesh. He knew he was hungry. 40 days without eating. Let me tempt him that way. The lust of the the second time he said, if, he said, let me show you all the kingdoms and all the authority. If you bow down to me, 
I'll give it to you. The last of the eyes. The shiny thing. And it's interesting because here is Satan who is no one, right? Offering the all-knowing, all-powerful God, the creator of heaven and earth, everything that he already owns. And that's what sometimes Satan does. He offers you half things that you already own. Half peace. You already have full peace because you have Christ in you. You know, half grace. You have full grace because you're a child of God. And so we go for that half shiny thing. We go for the cubic zirconia instead of the diamonds. I'm just... The, last, the third thing that Satan said to Jesus was, if you, are, if you are the son of God, now he's questioning him. If you're the son of God, then jump off. And now he talks about, start using scripture, because all this time Jesus says, the Bible says, the scripture says, God said. Right? Because the way you're going to defeat the enemy is by using God's word. Amen? Amen? Amen. Which means you've got to learn God's word, right? So he says, um, he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. And God in Christ says, and he took him to the highest place, right? And he said, if you're the son of God, prove it. How many times we're doing things because we want to prove to the world that we are who we say we are. We are who God said we are. I am educated. I am this. I am. Who cares, right? You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. You're trying to prove yourself to people that can't put you in heaven or can't put you on the grave. That's who you're trying to prove. That's how you're exhausting yourself, exhausting your money, exhausting your time, exhausting your ability, exhausting your health to prove to others that you're worthy. Isn't it enough for you that Christ said that you are? You don't have to prove anything except that Christ, you don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove anything to God. He saved you, and you don't have to do anything. All you have to say is, I receive you, Jesus. Amen. You don't have to prove. And then I wanted to talk about the next one. And so, how, so if you're in the wilderness, begin to assess yourself. You know, what am I lusting after? That God wants me to, you can start. That, that, you, that God wants you to get rid of. Amen. Because when you last, when you have the last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, the pride of life, you won't be able to move in the full assignment that God has for you because you're going to be tricked every time the enemy shows you something better that you think is better and shinier. The fourth place, the fourth thing that I wanted to talk about is, has to do with Lazarus, right? And the grave. Do you know the story? And if you know, I'm going to give you a synopsis. Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary, friends of Jesus. He dies. Martha and Mary send, send for him. He takes his good old time before he comes. And when he comes, he said, he's not dead, he's just sleeping. And everybody said, well, yeah, the last day he's going to be resurrected because we know more scripture than you do, God. So we're going to tell you what the Bible says. And he said, no, he's not sleeping. He's, he's sleeping. And he's, so he prays to God, and he says, Father, help me help them, right? That's what he really said. Help me help them. And so when you go into this season, it's a season of hiding. It's a season where things in you have to die to be able to live again. We are carrying all these things that you see here, pride. disappointment, you see anger, fear, all things that the more you allow them to live within you, they're killing who God meant for you to be. Rejection, abuse, abandonment, disappointment, bitterness, self-doubt, tired of living, leaving, living, finances, issues with finances, sin, addiction, doubt, unbelief, overeating, Gambling, drunkenness, sexual immorality, and we can go on and on and on. And I love John 11 because, see, we, we think that when we are covered by all this, right, and it's 
just keeping us in the cave, keeping us away from everyone, keeping us bound. She can't move, right? Sometimes you don't, you think, I, I'm trying to move, but I can't, because you have all this wrap around you. And it might not be these exact things, and please don't think that this is what Patty is, is dealing with, right? Amen. This is an example. Amen. I mean, it's an example, okay? If I ask her to go here to that end, she won't be able to do it because now I'm bound by this. And so when I'm in the cave, all this, all this has to die so I can, be, um, can live again. And I love the Bible verse here because, you know, we will think that Jesus will say, um, Lazarus, come out and take all this thing on your own. But he doesn't. You might need this. Um, he doesn't. He says, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out from that grave. After you were there four days, now the stench is there. Because see, all this is stinky. Right? When you have all this, you smell. People don't want to be around you. You know? You hurt other people. You... Um, don't give of yourself the way God wants you to give. You don't live harmonious, right? When you're prideful, nobody wants to be around you. But sometimes you're prideful because you've been hurt so much that you're hiding behind that mask, right? So think about that. And God says, and the dead man came out. He came out from the grave. His hands and feet bound in grave cloth. His face wrapped in a head cloth. See, when you are full of this, there is no vision. You don't know where you're going because all these things are directing your steps. And so you ask yourself, how come things are not working out for me? Because your vision is blocked and you're not seeing Christ at that moment. And the last of this says, his face, and then Jesus told them, he didn't tell Lazarus this. So if, Jemaira, can you come up here, please? help her he says Jesus told them because in this process after the grave after you go through this you're gonna need people to surround you for the healing process he said unwrap him and let him go so if you guys can unwrap her together because you're gonna need brothers and sisters surrounding you when you're trying to heal from all this when you're trying to become a new you you are going to need others that don't mind the smell. Don't mind that you're half dead on the inside of this sheep. They don't mind because they love God more than they love themselves. Amen. The Lord doesn't leave you by yourself. He doesn't leave you that way. He doesn't leave you that way. And he doesn't, we shouldn't leave our brethren that way. We should leave our brethren here full, fully healed fully able to go and do what God has called her to do. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. The Lord never leaves you in the midst of any of those seasons by yourself. He's in the cave. The Lord is in the desert. He's in the wilderness. He's in the middle of your storm. He's in your retrieving. He is in your running. He's in your prison. He is in the fire. He's in the mountaintop. He's in the valley. He's with the doors are closed. And he's knocking. And sometimes we only use the knocking the door for salvation. But he's knocking to enter into your present circumstance. Would you open that door for him? There's a purpose in the process and we forget that, right? We're like, what is the purpose of it all? Why do I have to suffer this way? Why do I have to deal with all of this? So yesterday was Friday. It was the first day of the Elton Fall Festival, and I'm part of the board. And so I had, they had a car show. And we had to pick nine cars, you know, not just any car, not my car that is all banged up. Like, these are muscle cars and hot rods, those type of cars, right? Which I did not know that they were the right titles for those cars. And I had to pick a trophy about the one that I liked the most, right? So what did I go for? I was like, oh, I like that Camaro. I like this other car, and I like that 40-something that they had in there. Look at me. 
I don't know what any of that means, but I knew that I liked a green Camaro. It was the most beautiful thing I ever seen in my life. So I was awarding the trophy not based on the process that those cars had gone through, but based on the end result, right? So because they had gone through a process, that green Camaro to look the way it looked, it was gorgeous, it was beautiful. Had to be stripped, pulled apart, every screw had to be shine and clean, right? The interior had to be redone. After they painted the car, they had to buff it so it would be shiny. We don't see all that it goes, you don't see all that I go, I'm going through, right? Or I don't see all that you're going through behind the garage doors. But I see the end result. And so what's the purpose really of this processing? We begin with the original statement of Christ, God in Genesis 1 to 26, which says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We're going through this process so we can be, we operate in the image and the likeness and in the commands of Christ. That's why we're going through this process. We're going through this process to save many people alive. And if you know the story of Joseph, poor Joseph. He was loved by his father, hated by his brothers, rejected by them, put in the pit, sold to slavery, lied upon by Potiphar's wife, sent into jail, the bread man and the winemaker, the armor bearer, they both forgot about him. Then he was called into the, into the palace. So when the famine hit the land where his family was and they came, he was able to not only feed them, not only give them access, but also provide a place where they could stay. So we are going through this process so we can save many people alive. We're going into this process to walk in victory. Revelations 12:11 says, they had power over him, and the him in here is Satan, amen? And won because of the blood of the lamb, lamb, and by telling what he had done for them. They did not love their lives, but were willing to die. We're willing to die so we can, so we can tell our testimony and that's the way that we overcome the enemy because he doesn't expect you to, to freely give your testimony. But when you give your testimony, others can identify and see the power of God in your life. When I give my testimony of depression, it's not so you can feel pity about me. It's so you can see that you don't have to live in oppression, anxiety, and depression. That God can heal you from that, right? When I talk about experiencing abandonment, it's not so you can say, oh, poor thing. No, no, no. It's so you know that I have a father that is constant in my life called Jesus. So you know that I had to do the work, right? I had to learn how to allow God to love me the way he wants me to love. He wants to love me. But if you don't know my story, if I don't tell my testimony, if you don't tell your testimony, then how we're, we're going to let the enemy tell our story? Are you going to let the enemy tell your story? You need to speak up and let other people know your story. Amen. In Acts, the disciples were being targeted, right? Persecuted. And they couldn't find them. And they found this group of Christians. And they wanted to take them. And the one thing they said about them was, these are the ones that took the world, that turned the world upside down. That should be your testimony, that we are the ones that are turning the world upside down. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is, right? My world was turned upside down. His world was turned upside down. And the only reason that we turned the world upside down is because all they were doing was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach our gospel a lot, right, Facebookers, right? In Facebook, we, oh my God, all the prophets, bishops and archbishops in there. If I hear one more prophecy that I'm gonna have a big house, okay, I'm trying not to be violent, so I'm gonna stop. The gospel of God should lead you to repentance. That's it. And repentance is acknowledging that you were wrong and that you need Christ. It's not about getting the bigger house. 
It's not about the car that I'm driving or the jet that I'm flying. It's not about next year, I'm going to have $10 more thousand dollars in my bank account. We have diluted the gospel to the, yes. to the last of the eyes and the pride of life. Because it's comfortable for us. That's what it's comfort zone. And then the other reason is to confound. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Confound means to cause surprise or confusion, especially by acting against expectations, especially to those they knew you then. So when you act different, they say, oh, you're new. Yes, I am. I receive Christ. I'm a new person. Oh, you're trying to be different. I say, yes, I am. Because I'm a representation of God in this earth. So guess what? When they said, oh, I remember when you, and you, I remember... Guess what? I'm acting differently now, right? You remember me then, but I'm confounded you because that's not who I am today, right? I'm so, people might be surprised with you. Oh, I remember her mouth. <laughs> I never had a bad mouth. Sometimes they comes out. I remember her, but look at me now here. Look at me restore. Look at me walk in my wholeness. That's what we're doing. Right? Not to glorify ourselves because we're not going through this process on my own. I'm not making the decisions. I'm not healing myself. I'm confounding. God is using me to confound the wise because they knew how foolish I was. Right? And they don't understand. It's like, oh my God, the wisdom of God in her. But I remember when she was, I remember when she couldn't say no to anything because she was weak. But look at God now. That's who you are. And then I'm going to challenge you to not lose focus. I'm running out of time, but remember this. There's a Bible verse on Luke 17, 32 that says, Remember Lot's wife. And if you don't know the story, when Lot was told to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, God told them, told the family, don't look back. And what did Lot's wife do? She looked back. And she became a statue of salt. I'm here to tell you, don't look back. Don't allow your past to get you stuck and stuck and not be able to move forward. Don't be like Elijah. Elijah, he had the biggest victory in Mount Carmel. Right? He defeated the prophets of Baal. He saw fire come down and burn water. And you know, fire doesn't burn water. Burn the, 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 the sacrifice. And then he grabbed all the prophets of Baal and killed them all. And then he prophesied the, the, the land was going through famine and through drought, that rain was coming. But he heard the words of a woman the queen, Jezebel, that said, today I will kill you. He had just done this great victory where God used him. And somebody's words that can't put you in anywhere, do anything for you, said, I'm going to kill you. And what, he did, what did he do? He ran. Not where God wanted him to do, be, but he ran the opposite way. But the, the, the loving kindness of God, it's like while he was running, God was taking care of him. He was feeding him. He was um, providing for him. And he asked him one question, and it was Elijah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And this man of God said, I'm the only one doing stuff for you, God. I'm the only prophet that is living according to your work, to your, um, to your will. I'm the only one, pride of life. I'm the only one. And God said to him, go to the top of the mountain. And he went, and earthquake came, and he expected God to be in the earthquake. The wind came, strong wind came, and he expected God to be 
in the earthquake, in the wind. But then a still small voice. And for you to hear the still small voice of God, you gotta shut everything else down, including yourself. And hear this question that God is gonna ask us all the time. What are you doing here? What are you doing in this relationship that is not God granted for you? What are you doing in this job that I told you to leave? What are you doing here? Don't answer like Elijah did because he again answered that way. I've done all the things. But answering repentance, answering recommitment unto him, answer, even if you don't know, be truthful and say, I don't know God. And my time is run, has run out, but I just want you to trust the God of the process that he's perfect and he doesn't change. And I want to leave this with you if you can stand up. If you don't know this God, and if you have strayed away from him, I encourage you to choose him and choose him again. Amen. Amen. If he's knocking at the door, please let him in. Amen. Bring him to your heart, to your situation. Let him to love you. But I want to give you this as a benediction today. And I pray it blessed you. I pray it encouraged you. I pray it challenged you. Because it did me. You know, when you get here, you already have to be processed. When I think of all this, the prof, um, Apostle Paul says, all the things that God has done. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from, this from his glorious and limited resources, he will power you, empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we may ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. If you would like to find information about who we are or how to donate so that we can keep doing what we're doing, please check us out at www.scarletnotes.org. See you next time.